Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And a federal judge accuses Michael Flynn of selling out his country. Yeah, so much for Donald Trump wishing Michael Flynn good luck yesterday. What do you know on a Wednesday? Hello, hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, December 19. And another version for the history books of the Bill Press Show with all of you and the three of us here, four of us, I should say, bringing you the news of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. A pretty wild day yesterday here in Washington with the Senate trying to come up with a Senate and House trying to come together, Republicans and Democrats, on some way to keep the government open uh, and avoid a shutdown. Meanwhile, the White House, believe it or not, suddenly looks like it may be caving. Donald Trump has changed his tune from last week when he met with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and vowed that he was going to shut down the government and do so proudly. Uh, Now he's scrambling, scrambling, looking for some solution, not having found one yet. Meanwhile, yes, Michael Flynn walks into a courtroom and got roasted by a federal judge saying you knew it was illegal against the law to lie to the FBI, and you did it anyway. And not only that, you did it on White House property. Shame on you. And one piece of the Trump empire collapses and folds yesterday when the Trump charity, uh, Trump family members agreed to shut down their charity because it's a phony baloney charity. Oh, man, so much to talk about, so much you are going to want to comment on. So get ready. Send your comments on Twitter. I don't have to wait. Just start right now on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We want to hear from you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Now, this is a story about a man in Missouri 
who was convicted for poaching deer. He illegally killed, according to the judge, hundreds of deer. Now, this all has to do with the fact that if you go out and you hunt deer with a spotlight, it's a lot easier to hunt deer, which is why it's illegal. Right. You can't do that. The man's name is David Barry Jr., so he was caught, he was convicted, he was sent to jail for a year. But that's not all. The judge also said that he is now court-ordered to watch the movie Bambi <laughs> as part of his sentence once a month during his year-long jail sentence. Now, you probably remember there's a very sad scene at the beginning of Bambi yeah. where Bambi's mother is Bambi's killed mother. by a yeah. hunter. Right. And so this guy, as part of his punishment, is going to have to watch that. Now, I'm not sure about the legality of all of that, but kudos for, uh, for, for getting creative with it. It's a creative sentence. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm yeah. Not, again, I'm not sure if it's constitutional, but yeah, you know, have a ball. By the way, do you know who the... So well, let him sue the judge. Sure. The wealthiest celebrity in 2018? Beyonce. You would think so. It's a name you're not necessarily thinking of. Taylor Swift. George Lucas. George really? Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, yeah. is worth $5.4 billion. Now, a lot of this has to do with the fact that he sold Lucasfilm to Disney a couple of years ago, and he's now just starting to get some of that money. The entire sale of his company, $4.1 billion. Uh, Steven Spielberg, another filmmaker, was number two with 3.7, and of course, Queen Oprah at number three with 2.8 billion dollars. All right, yeah. I pass this property every time we go to Inverness on Lucas Valley Road. There you go. The Skywalker Ranch. I mean, look, man. Yeah. Y you know, it, Star Wars is still a thing. It's still happening, and totally. he's getting a lot of money from the whole thing. But as again, as they pointed out. He made so much money when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney. If mm -hmm. you're going to sell out, uh, selling out to Disney is not a bad idea because they got the money to pay you. <laughs> right. This is the Bill Press Show. We admit it's a phony charity, and we will shut it down. Uh, that's what members of the Trump family agreed to do so, to do yesterday, uh, to settle a lawsuit brought by the New York Attorney General. What do you say, everybody? Yeah, the beginning of the end of the Trump empire. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington D.C. on this Wednesday, Wednesday, December nineteen. So good to see you today, and thanks so much for joining us. We are uh, here in Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, where we'll be keeping our eye on what was going on yesterday at the Capitol, just down the street here, where they were trying to come to some resolution on uh, the budget or funding going forward in order to avoid a government shutdown, which, again, uh, will happen Friday night at midnight, unless they settle it in the meantime. Uh, the House of Representatives is coming back into town today, uh, reconvening this evening. The Senate has been here uh, and the White House. Meanwhile, down at that end of Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House also trying to decide uh, if they can find some other money. We'll talk more about that. 
and uh, how they can avoid a shutdown as well, get backing away from the talk of we want to shut down and we're going to do it come hell or high water. Uh, White House, and yesterday, a rare briefing at the White House. I was there for the one and only briefing during the month of December. So we'll get into all of the above with you. Look forward to hearing from you as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, as we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and all over the greater Chicago area, including the great city of Chicago uh, on WCPT nationwide, coast to coast, also on the one and only Free Speech TV. And uh, coming up uh, from the Center for American Progress, Ed Chung will be joining us. He is their vice president for criminal justice reform. From The Hill, cybersecurity reporter Olivia Beavers. And uh, from BuzzFeed, covering the courts and the justice system, our good friend Zoe Tillman. So we got a lot going on. And remember, as always, you are the most important guests of the day. So don't hang back. Don't be shy. Send us your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP show. I, I got to tell you, it, it just this briefing yesterday, it was a joke. And this is why <laughs> more and more people don't go to the briefings. I'm not saying it wasn't crowded yesterday, but uh, it, there were a lot of regulars who just say, why? Why spend the time? So I, I just want to show you what the briefings have kind of degenerated into. And remember, under President Obama, I was there at the briefings just about every day because they held briefings every day, and they were worthwhile, and you learned a lot, and you had a chance to answer questions, and it was civil, and there I'm not saying that they didn't dance around. They didn't spin. You heard me talk about Robert Gibbs and Jay Carney and uh, 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 and Josh Ernest when they were up there, um, never telling all the truth. I wouldn't say never, but, I mean, they, they would tell you as much as they wanted you to know, and then we just had to probe for more. Well, at least they had briefings. What we now have with the Trump administration is there was one briefing, one, one, in the, and look, there's no, in the Constitution, it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution that the White House has to have a press secretary or that the press secretary has to give a briefing every day. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're breaking the law, but it's been a tradition since the days of Franklin Roosevelt that the president or the press secretary regularly, if not daily, brief the press on and through us, the American people, on what's going on. So uh, up until the Trump administration. And they kept getting, remember, even Sean Spicer started having briefings with no cameras. And then when Sarah Huckabee Sanders came in, she brought the cameras back and then started having briefings, maybe three a week, never five days a week. Now it is once a month. There was one briefing in October. There was one briefing in December. It looked like there was going to be no briefing at all in December. I mean, one in November. Looked like there was going to be no briefing at all in December until yesterday morning, with very little notice, they scheduled a briefing for 1.30 yesterday afternoon. So I said, I'm going. I want to see, you know, what this White House is doing now with the briefing. The briefing is called for 1.30 uh at 128 uh we got a text from the from the press secretary saying that the briefing would be at 145 instead so we're all in our place everybody's there okay you wait 15 minutes that's that's okay i mean that's no big deal 15 minutes uh 20 minutes 25 minutes 
30 minutes. At two minutes after three, Sarah Huckabee Sanders walks in and starts the briefing by announcing that the president has a an event at 2.15, and so we're going to rush through this as fast as we can. She takes five minutes to talk about the president's going to Davos, BFD, uh, who's going with him, bigger BFD, uh, and and then says, well, I'll take a few questions. And then, so within like, so we got like eight, ten minutes left, takes a few rapid-fire questions, says some outrageous things, which we'll get into, and then turns around and walks out. And the scene when she walked out was really pretty wild. Uh, reporters calling out, you know, what's going on? What's going on? Here's a little clip of what it sounded like. As she's walking out, you can hear one reporter say, what? A 10-minute briefing? And another reporter in the back of the room hollering, do your job, Sarah. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Do your job, Sarah. You know, I, I read that. She stormed out. By the way, Kellyanne Conway came out. Yeah, Why? She yeah. was sitting there yesterday. I, I saw that the reporter yelled, Do your job, Sarah, as she was leaving. I thought to myself, Oh, God, that was Bill. Uh, <laughs> actually, I thought it was Hunter Walker. <laughs> you know what? It sounds like Hunter. It does. It absolutely and sounds it like Hunter. It came from where Hunter was like sitting. So I walked out with him and I said, Dude, was that you? <laughs> I saw the guy who did it. Yeah, it was, I, I forgot the guy's name, but he's it, not a. No, he's not a big name. No, and, but Hunter knew who it was. He told me. Yeah, it was. Anyhow, just I just want to show you what a circus it was, uh, what it is down there uh, at the White House. Uh, but there was a little news uh, actually yesterday. So we've been talking about the shutdown. And remember, uh, all of this in the wake of the big meeting last week in the Oval Office where Donald Trump proudly said, damn right, Trump shut down, bring it on. That's what I want. I'm going to do it. I don't care. If I don't get my $5 billion, I'm going to shut it down, and I'll be proud of it, and I will take ownership of it. Whoa, whoa. That was a different story yesterday. Um, first of all, no, so far as I know, no Republican on Capitol Hill in the House or the Senate, has said, I agree with Donald Trump, we should shut down the government. They're all running for the hills. And Mitch McConnell has openly said, don't think a shutdown's a good idea. We're going to do that in just a second. But the White House was still saying, until yeah, as far until yesterday, shut down, shut down, shut down. We don't care. We're going to shut it down. Remember Steve Miller, the president's economic guy, on uh, immigration guy, rather, on Sunday, yes, the guy who sprayed the, pa- uh, the hair... He's still. <laughs> There's still. I, I, this morning, there was, I saw a couple of columns about Steve Miller's fake hair. It's very bad. If you I just see I, him without that, yeah. he's bald. Completely. Yeah. Completely. A little bit of hair around the side. But. There's a way to go bald gracefully, okay? It, 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 it's a thing, all right? Some people have to deal with this. One way to not do it gracefully is to get hair in a can and spray it on in an asymmetrical pattern and a color that doesn't match the rest of your hair. Uh, I think that's a bad look. I think that's sort of ABC of yeah. bad hair. Look, there are some things you could do to make your balding not as bad as, uh, but, as, as you know, you Those are those ads that you see like at 3 o'clock in the morning. They're right. <laughs> on cable TV, right. on the porno channel. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Uh, I'm sorry. We digress. <laughs> it, this is worth talking about. It, it, I'm with you. Yeah. Even Stephen Miller said on Sunday, are you going to shut down the government? Absolutely. He said, absolutely. But they said yesterday, yesterday morning, 
uh, on one of the talk shows, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, well, um, we're going to explore other options. And everybody said, whoa, 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 what's that mean? Uh, yesterday, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said at the briefing, uh, so the president has asked everybody to look around and see what other monies they might have, right? So we can put that toward this stupid wall. The president's asked every one of his cabinet secretaries to look for funding that can be used uh, to protect our borders. So they still say, we want the $5 billion, but now we're not expecting, you have to read between the lines here, they're saying we're not, we can't expect to get it from Congress. No, we can't be sure we get it from Congress. We'll see what they come up with. But in the meantime, we're asking every federal agency to see if they have any leftover money that they can put into the pot for the wall. Well, first of all, there are a couple of problems with that. Uh, number one is uh, there's not a lot of leftover money around um, necessarily. Number two, you, you can't just – okay, let me put it this way. Congress appropriates the money for agency by agency by agency. They have a hearing. They present their plan. They say, this is what our program is. This is how much money we need for these particular projects or ongoing programs. They can't just take money that they got for running schools or something, you name it, or for national parks and say, well, thank you for the money for the national parks. Now, we're going to give it to Donald Trump so he can spend it to build his wall. Actually, is actually illegal. It's Congress's job to appropriate the money for, for such particular uses. So there are members of Congress saying, well, this looks like a pretty clever game that the White House is trying to play here, but it may be illegal, unconstitutional. So it's not sure that this is going to work. Uh, then there are some other problems. Terry Moran got into this with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, saying, well, why are we talking about this anyway when Mexico is supposed to be paying for this wall? With the deficit ballooning to over a trillion dollars under this president, where are the additional monies for this wall going to come from? And why is he asking the American taxpayer for them when he promised Mexico was going to pay? Look, we're not asking American taxpayers for that. Uh, we are looking at existing funding through other agencies right now that we can draw on to do that in immediate, uh, immediately. So the president's been clear. The president has been clear that the USMCA deal would provide additional revenue through that deal that would show that Mexico is paying for the wall. The Treasury, though. The, the, the trade benefits, if there are any, don't, don't go to the Treasury. He's saying that the revenue provided and the money that would be saved through the USMCA deal, we can pay for the wall four times over. And by doing that new trade deal, we have the opportunity to pay for the wall. But trade benefits go to private citizens. Look, they don't go to the United States Treasury. About, he's talking about the general revenue that comes from that. So you're going to tax... No, we're not taxing. We're talking about additional revenue that wouldn't have existed without the president getting a new deal. Have you done the math on that? that, that, that? There, are, there have been a number of things that we've looked at in which we know we'll have additional revenue that comes in through the USMCA. From the USMCA we think into we'll the have, Treasury? We think there will be more than that that comes in. By the way, the other you, part of that. She doesn't have a clue. No idea. No, no idea what idea. she's talking about. Terry Moran, very smart report, is absolutely right. Yeah, look, and there was a time that reporters would not push her on stuff like this. Yeah. He, he knows what he's talking about here. Yeah. This is absolutely the case. And by the way, the thing that we can't show is his face while she's answering him oh. of, 
shock and horror of what the hell are you talking about? Right. And you can't again, just say things. So there's so much wrong with that. Number one, the U.S., this USMCA, right, it's not in effect yet, right? It's a proposal that Donald Trump made, has made with Mexico and Canada. It's got to pass the Congress. There's no, there's no guarantee that it will. It's not a great plan. There's no guarantee that it's going to generate $25 billion plus. But if it does, Terry Moran is absolutely right. If there is money to be made, saved by American companies out of this trade deal, that money does not go into the U.S. Treasury. It goes into these private companies and their investors. So that's not money that can be spent for the wall. And when she says this is not going to cost taxpayers anything because we are asking these other government agencies to find some leftover funds that they can all put into the kitty to pay for the wall. Where does that money come from, from those agencies? That's taxpayer dollars. So, in fact, the taxpayers would be paying for that, not Mexico. It is, she, she, again, she doesn't have a foggiest idea what she's talking about, and it was so apparent there in that little exchange with, uh, with Terry Moran. Uh, but the bottom line is, um, yesterday... I, I told you, and I was—I meant it. I was pretty sure that there would be a shutdown because Donald Trump would not budge. It looks like um, they'll come up with some Mickey Mouse way of keeping the government open, probably not for a long time, but certainly through the holidays. Uh, and they'll come up with some formula that Donald Trump can say, this gives me everything I want, even though Congress wouldn't pass that $5 billion. Um, uh, and I guess maybe you could put it this way. It looks like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have backed the president down and forced him to cave. Uh, and by the way, I'll give a little prop here, a little props to uh, Mitch McConnell, who has also said from the beginning, and he repeated yesterday that a shutdown uh, is no good idea, and he's not supporting it. Uh, here is Mitch McConnell uh, yesterday, Republican leader, saying, uh, "No, we don't want a shutdown." Well, he, he can speak for himself, but I think a government shutdown is is not a good option. And uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, again, who is showing, I think, some good leadership on this issue, has said, look, we made him our offer. Uh, uh, our plan is the only one that can pass the House and the Senate. We had an offer out on the table for days. Ours is the only offer that I know that could pass both houses. Uh, that's where things are today. Again, the House coming back in today, and uh, you you can bet the way it always is, it'll probably be mm, maybe 11 o'clock Friday night. The very last minute. Yeah, the right. The very last minute. Uh, that's when they'll, they'll come to, 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 some, to some agreement. Uh, on other news yesterday, yes, indeed, um, as we mentioned the uh, last couple of days, uh, every aspect of the Trump operation that you look at is under some kind of criminal investigation from his inaugural committee to his campaign committee to the White House to his um, business empire to his charity. Well, um, one of those was resolved yesterday when the New York Attorney General, uh, who had uh, who was investigating uh, basically phony contributions made under this phony charity, the Trump family charity, uh, in response to that investigation, uh, they reached an agreement yesterday. The family reached an agreement with the New York Attorney General to shut the charity down. 
uh, the New York Attorney General saying uh, that she uh, felt they should do so uh, because of, quote, persistent illegal conduct on the part of the chair. This is the charity. This is the Trump Foundation charity. Remember, it talks about a lot during the campaign where he bragged about all the money, his money that he had put into this charity, and it turns out like there was no Donald Trump money in the charity, in the Donald Trump charity. It was found charitable foundation. It was money that he had raised from other people, put into his foundation, then he took the credit and the tax deduction for giving this money, which included um, making political contributions with it, uh, buying self-portraits, not self-portraits, but portraits of himself for Mar-a-Lago and for his offices. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the most outrageous expenditures of money from the foundation was to the Central Park Conservancy, which was really for repairing a fountain in front of the Trump Hotel. Yeah. So they, they revealed that all of this stuff was just phone. Donald Trump was using this charitable country to, for his own personal and business enrichment. Uh, and the New York Attorney General said, busted, so they've agreed to shut the charity down. By the way, big shout-out to David Farenthold, who we've had on the show, who started yes. this investigation yes. almost yes. immediately after Donald Trump. Uh, promised to give money to the veterans. Promised to give money as and a candidate. Did. Yeah. And <laughs> you could tell the, the, uh, what the investigation found and what the New York Attorney General said almost mirrors exactly what Farenthold said over two years ago, uh, the investigation found, quote, a shocking pattern of illegality involving the Trump Foundation, including the unlawful coordination with the pre Trump presidential campaign, repeated and willful self-dealing, and much, much more, end quote. That's what they said, which is yeah. sums up kind of what you said. But that's what Farenthold yeah. said at the very beginning of this investigation. Right. And it turns yeah. out, yeah, it's so exactly right. So the Washington right. Post started that, and it was picked up again by the uh, New York Attorney General. Uh, on uh, another front. You know, um, we so seldom get a chance to say any, say anything good about uh, either the Trump White House or um, the Congress. Uh, a couple of things happened yesterday that are worth noting. Um, the Congress would not do this, but the Trump White House has issued a ban on bump stocks. Now, look, this is like the least you can do toward gun safety, uh, but it— um, uh, signed yesterday by the acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, at the direction of the president. Uh, they've been going through reviews, getting it ready, but they finally got it ready. The clock started running yesterday, 90 days. So people who have these bump stocks have 90 days to either turn them in or to burn them or to destroy them. becomes illegal to own one 90 days from now. Sarah Huckabee Sanders making that announcement at the, at the beginning of our briefing yesterday. A 90-day period now begins which persons in possessions of bunk sto bump stock type devices must turn those devices to an ATF field office or destroy them by March 21st. Uh, well, again, uh, a very uh, important step, but a very small step. Just, but, uh, you know, you think that's at least one thing we could agree on that. By the way, nobody knew what bump stocks were until Las Vegas. October of last year. So, yeah, look, yeah. we'll give them credit. This is the right thing to do. Could right. have happened a lot sooner. Congress should have done it immediately yeah. after Las Vegas and didn't. 
Uh, but it also shows uh, that even even Donald Trump is willing to take on the NRA on that one issue. Of course, the gun uh, organizations, uh, I, including, I believe, the NRA, have vowed that they're going to appeal this and fight it over the next 90 days. Uh, Good yeah, luck. Well, yeah, lots of rock on that. Um, the other thing that happened yesterday is a classic vote, an important, very important vote. Um, in the United States Senate, a lopsided vote in support of the uh, criminal justice reform. This is something that is long, long overdue. And by the way, this is not the perfect bill. This bill, there's a lot of stuff this bill does not do, uh, but it does do a great deal toward reducing these mandatory minimum sentences, particularly for nonviolent uh, drug offenses. Uh, it also includes money for job training and other programming aimed at reducing recidivism rates. Uh, it, this is a, a bill that Democrats, Democrats had a much stronger bill. Uh, it was watered down to get some Republican support, but in its final form, again, consider it a first step toward criminal justice reform and prison sentencing reform, not the full enchilada. But in its final form, uh, it was supported by the uh, Koch brothers and the ACLU, by the Center for American Progress, um, by the Heritage Foundation, supported by Republican Chuck Grassley and Democrat Dick Durbin, and supported by the White House. And this is a bill, remember, that Mitch McConnell said they were too busy. They wouldn't have time to vote for it before the end of the year. Um, and in this case, the White House actually got to work and got enough Republican, sen Republican senators uh, to put pressure on Mitch McConnell to allow a vote. Every single Democrat voted for it. And, well, you counted up. There are 49 Democrats, and it ended up with 87 votes. So a uh, hell of a lot of Republicans voted for it as well. Uh, here was the announcement of the final vote on the Senate floor yesterday. On this vote, the yeas are 87, the nays are 12. On this motion to concur in the House amendment with an amendment has been agreed to. Yep. Uh, very important step. Very important step. And um, uh, congratulations for moving that forward. I guess one other person that we should say does get some credit there, believe it or not. Jared Kushner. Sure. He was the uh, the White House uh, link, if you will, liaison to the Senate uh, on this issue. Well, it's been two years. It's finally time that they did something good. <laughs> yes. And now we got the criminal justice reform. Now he can uh, he can deliver peace in the Middle East. That's right. That's next. Yeah, that's next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, boy, in Arizona, you can win by losing. Yes, indeed. Martha McSally, she ran against Kirsten Cinema, and she lost that campaign for the U.S. Senate. Kirsten Cinema is the new U.S. Senator from Arizona, but the way things work, again, who cares if you lose in Arizona on January 1? Martha McSally will become the next new U.S. senator from Arizona. She was appointed yesterday by Governor Ducey to uh, take the seat, uh, John McCain's old seat, which was filled temporarily by former Senator John Kyle. He's had enough of Washington. He wants to go back to Arizona. He says, I'm, I'm out of here the first of the year. So for the remainder of John McCain's term, it will be, as the governor announced yesterday, Martha, loser, Martha McSally. Colonel McSally's service to this country is one for the history books. So Arizona had never elected a woman as senator 
until November 6th. And now <laughs> it's going to have two women senators. That's pretty wild. <laughs> it is wild. And the two candidates who went back and forth, they could have saved all that money oh. in the election. <laughs> right? Right. Why have an election? Yeah. They both end up in the Senate. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and now they're going to have to work together. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, we didn't even get to Michael Flynn yet. Oh, man, that was the other big story today. All right, we'll save that for Ed Chung joining us next from the Center for American Progress, Vice President of Criminal Justice Reform there. Uh, off to a good start. Want to hear from you, your comments on Twitter at BP Show. A quick break, and then we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Uh, yes, on Wednesday, December 19, it is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it. Thank you for being part of it. In fact, as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Put them all together, which they did a few years ago, and you've got the smart union under the leadership of uh, the great Joe Sellers, President Joseph Sellers. Check out their website at smart-union.org, and you'll see those good men and women there working every day, getting a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Uh, let me mention, let's see, I'm not going to also, and I don't want to give you the, uh, the great big sales pitch on the handwoven scarves by Carol Press. Well, this is the one that I wear every day. But just to remind you that today, Wednesday, is the last day you could possibly order and get one in time for the holidays. Uh, Carol could get it out to you today. After that, it'd be 2019. Uh, so go to our website, BillPressShow.com, and follow the link to Carol Press Scarves if you haven't already done so. Take a look at all the different designs and colors available on this last day. And join me in welcoming to the studio from the great Center for American Progress, the Vice President for Criminal <laughs> Justice Reform. I need to record that. <laughs> it's a big, Damn. big business card. Ed Chung. Hello, Ed. Nice to see you. Good to be with you, Bill. Right, indeed. Uh, we got lots to talk about, and we've already been talking about lots of stuff and getting some comments back. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, okay, lots of different comments. Let's start with Kurt, who says, Benedict Donald said that he will hold the mantle for the government shutdown. That being said, does he pay 100% of the cost of his 16-day vacation to the Florida White House? He did say he would be proud to own the shutdown. That's That's a good question, because... If it does shut down and he does go down there to play golf, all these Secret Service agents will be doing it without pay. Right. He's supposed to leave on Friday yeah. and be there for long, you know, I forget. Long time. Two weeks, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Luna says the next step uh, about uh, uh, the press briefing yesterday, the next step will be no more press conferences. This administration will just release a 10-minute rap song with all of their lies for the month <laughs> packed into it. Robert Campbell. We are down to one a month. Yeah. And only about 10 minutes uh, this 10 minutes. Month. One uh, month, 10 minutes long. Robert Campbell says the White House press briefings under Trump have become a total waste of time, effort, and resources. They do nothing but lie. Yes, I, I agree with that. And we did talk about Stephen Miller's hair. Uh, Tom says, Stephen Miller's hair fooled me for a moment. Then I realized it came from the original upholstery of a 66 Chevy. You have a comment on any topic, including Stephen Miller's hair, at any time. You can find us on Twitter at BP Show. Remember BP the good old days when you just got a toupee? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you didn't uh, 
paint spray it on. Now they've got plugs and, and you were, got the spray. There were some good toupees. There were toupees that were hard to tell. Sure. Right? You know? That's Sam Donaldson. <laughs> wow. I'm Whoa. sorry. That's, that was mean. I'm sorry, Sam. You know, uh, so uh, coming from Delaware, um, <laughs> no, it's Californian, but Delaware by birth, uh, Senator Bill Roth, the legendary senator from Delaware, uh, actually had uh, three toupees. <laughs> one, like he had just got a haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the other one, a couple of weeks later, like, you know, maybe he was halfway there. And then the third one, like he needed a haircut. And then, boop. If you're going to do wow. it, yeah, do yeah, it right. Genius. I like Isn't that. that yeah, That's that is a real right. thought put that into is, it. Yeah. I appreciate okay. that. Stephen Miller, are you listening? <laughs> you got options, Put buddy. the paint spray can away. All right, get out your toupee. Uh, on more serious issues, so Michael Flynn, we were su- we were a little surprised yesterday, Ed, that the president started the day by wishing Michael Flynn good luck yeah. in the court yesterday. What was that all about? I mean, he cooperated with the special counsel. We know that. Right. To the extent that Robert Mueller even said there should be no, he should get no prison time. Michael Cohen cooperated with the special counsel. He's got three years, and Donald Trump called him a rat. <laughs> so why is he a rat for cooperating in Michael Flynn? In fact, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said yesterday at the briefing, I was there, we wish him well. Yeah. Why? It, I mean, it wasn't only interesting then. It was interesting during the sentencing memo, during, during the times when the lawyers file sentencing memos beforehand, right? Yeah. Because that was a time also when Flynn's lawyers began to uh, question the whether or not he was actually um, duped into lying to the FBI. Right. And it's weird to do that. Weird is the technical legal term to do that after you've pled guilty and done it during the sentencing phase because you've already told the court you're guilty of this crime. And so the question started raising, why is he doing this? And I think a lot of folks have went straight to the conclusion and things that is kind of consistent with how Trump has been conducting himself during the course of the Mueller investigation of, are you dangling this pardon out there? And if so, then what what's going to be the, the ramifications in court? So when the Flynn team started just even saying, you know, putting names of controversial FBI agents into the mix and saying that, you know, he really didn't know, then it set up a situation where Mueller had to respond forcefully in the government's response and a situation in court where you're you're looking at what could actually happen here if Flynn actually backs out of his plea agreement. Mm, yeah. And that's what it was all kind of set up for. And it seems like what why would the president be that I mean, he's never a subtle person, right? And this was his this was not subtle in the least, but to say that for good I mean, good luck in and of itself is just a weird phrase to say to somebody who's about to get sentenced, not yeah. somebody who's about to take a plea. So the judge uh, didn't buy this at right. all. Uh, the the uh, judge yesterday, Emmett Sullivan, um, uh, if they expected him, and they were sort of kind of banking on the fact that he might say, oh, you poor guy, the FBI ambushed you at the White House and tricked you into this and, and, and buy that whole baloney, um, he didn't. Right. In fact, uh, the judge said, I'm reading here the quotes, I'm not hiding my disgust, my disdain for this criminal offense. Uh, and he said, pointed out that he 
he got Flynn to admit he knew lying to the FBI was against the law. Right. And yet he did so anyway, and he did it on the judge really seemed to be offended by the fact that Flynn did this in the White House. Right. He said, arguably, this, the, the judge again, arguably, this undermines everything this flag over here stands for. Arguably, you sold your country out. That You'd never hear things like that from a judge, right, <laughs> on the court. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I mean... Judge Sullivan is is known as uh, you know he's not he's not a new judge he's, he's right. been on the court for a while and he's a, somebody who has who speaks his mind and so this is uh, something that you know judges some a lot of times go on these kind of you know rants if you will but this this was this was related to the case and about the seriousness yes. of this case but also because of how it was set up before so if you're trying to get out of something as Flynn's lawyers were trying to do in um, you know raising the questions about the prosecution. It, it, it is that kind of, it, it is that you need to pull it back. And to do so, one of the biggest things that a judge can do is show the seriousness of it, not only through the judge's words, but also through the potential sentence that the person could get. Yeah. And so the, the what happened yesterday was both um, startling <laughs> because of the words that you mentioned. Treason was mentioned like- Yes, uh, you know. yes. And like, but also the possibility that he could actually get sentenced to a time in prison, even if all parties recommended something different. Right, that he could. So uh, even Shep Smith on uh, Fox News yesterday uh, pointed out that if if that was the what the White House and Flynn's lawyers were hoping for, uh, this judge didn't buy that. Right, and. The judge also questioning Flynn about his and his lawyer about their memo last week that suggested that FBI agents might have tricked the former national security advisor when they didn't tell him lying to the FBI is a crime. You heard the theory floated by the White House and its defenders here and elsewhere. That all blew up today. All blew up today. Uh, and then after this at the hearing, um, you know, I, I forget this guy's name um, from uh, – he's Stephen Portnoy. Ste- Stephen Portnoy is the guy – are you talking about the, the ambushed question to Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Stephen Portnoy? That was Stephen Portnoy that asked the question from okay. CBS. Yeah, C- Stephen Portnoy from CBS. Uh, he had just – he just had left the hearing and then came right to the White House briefing and really confronted Sarah about this a quote earlier in the day where she had said the FBI had ambushed Flynn. Here he is. Flynn said that he knew that it was illegal to lie to the FBI and he was ready to accept responsibility. This was all before agreeing to a delay in sentencing. Given that, are you in a position now or would you like to revisit your comments earlier today that uh, the FBI ambushed Flynn? No. Um, I We still firmly believe, look, the things that may have taken place, again, that's for the judge to make that determination uh, whether he engaged in something inappropriate. What we do know that was inappropriate by own self-admittance of James Comey is that the FBI broke standard protocol in the way that they came in and ambushed General Flynn and in the way that they questioned him and in the way that they encouraged him not to have White House counsel's office present. Uh, Comey says she's lying about that last point, by the way. But again, she's saying ambushed, ambushed, ambushed. Uh, he was not ambushed. He knew that lying to the FBI is against the law. He told the judge. He admitted he t- that he knew that ahead of time. 
it is so there, there's so much about what Sarah Huckabee Sanders just said that is infuriating. First, the FBI. This is not an agent. This is not an opposition party to the Trump administration. The FBI is under the executive branch, and yeah. they, yeah, yeah. Know, presumably Trump is the head of the government that runs the FBI, and so to then question the legitimacy of the FBI over and over and over again is just it's mind-boggling that you're 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 destroying the very institution that you're you're governing um but on top of that i think what you saw at the hearing also is judge sullivan having to do take the extraordinary step again um of re allocuting flynn about his guilty plea and walking step by step you know, through the fact, did you do this voluntarily? Did you do this mm-hmm, on your mm-hmm, own? Mm-hmm. Um, did anybody coerce you or pressure you? I mean, those types of questions he had to do again because of all of these things. And to think that a, to somebody who is that high up in the government, like you're, you're talking about, they're trying to bring in questions. There are questions about sometimes the way that law enforcement for people who are not necessarily sophisticated or who don't have the you know counsel or things like that um, of being taken advantage of. But this guy is in a completely different position. He's a high-ranking member, a general, yeah, and now well, he's, uh, yeah. Well, and on that point, finally, uh, uh, is that Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that, um, well, they said people were asking, you know, well, what about his lies or whatever, did lie to the FBI in the White House? And she said, well, that's up to the courts to decide whether he did or he didn't. She said the important thing is that whatever he did, has nothing to do with the president of the United States. It has nothing to do with the president at all. And all of us were just stunned. And people, I mean, people were saying out loud, I did too, he works for the president. (laughs) He's a national security advisor in the White House, one of the two top three people in the White House. And how can you say it has nothing to do with the president of the United States? And Donald Trump named him. I mean, it's a whole concept. Nothing to do with the president. It's just like saying Mike Pence. Whatever he does has nothing to do with the president. Yeah, Melania. Oh, no, nothing to do with the president. Jesus. I mean, especially that it was not only People. during his short time in the White House, he was the top national security person for his campaign. Yes. And that's what all of this stuff happened. It's just, to try to say this part of my campaign hasn't it doesn't have anything to do with my campaign is the most illogical thing. Or but this the, part of my White House. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, on another front, yesterday... Something uh, that uh, Democrats in Congress have been pushing for a long time, um, a, a much stronger bill, but uh, nevertheless, a version of that passed yesterday, the Senate uh, 87 to 12, the mm-hmm. criminal justice bill. Um, a good first step? A good first step. So the bill uh, that you're talking about, I think you described it perfectly. It is uh, it's something that Congress has been working on for five years now. With a lot of bipartisan support. A lot of bipartisan support. Started under Barack Obama. Exactly. And it, there were uh, Chuck Grassley, Dick Durbin, has been, they've been leading this effort in the Senate. Uh, and there was a chance that it could pass the Senate in 2016. Uh, it was Mitch McConnell who, for political reasons, held it up at that point. Um, and Mitch, tried to do so again this year. And tried to do so again this year. And it, there, the overwhelming vote that you show you, you you quoted there shows that the tough on crime approach that this administration has been pushing is no longer as salient of a political message. 
than a smarter approach. And I think you're seeing that across the country. And now it's slowly trickling into Congress as an acceptable viewpoint. And it, to you know, my position, from my perspective, it is the right viewpoint to make sure that our first reaction isn't to try to lock up everybody for years and years, but there's other ways to deal with issues, so, social ills, and so forth. And so I think that it is a good first step uh, in what the Senate did. It will be passed by the House later this week, um, and it will be signed by the president. And you know, for progressives like me who you know, internally, I think I can't believe it's this guy who is going to sign a criminal mm-hmm. justice reform right, bill. Right. We just have to keep our eye on the fact that it's going to help a lot of people who are both in and who could possibly um, then be prosecuted later. Uh, the Center for American Progress Correct. is uh, cited on the front page of the New York Times this morning as one of the chief sponsors of the bill. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, uh, and also... Um, the Koch brothers, yeah, so uh, strange bedfellows, as they <laughs> to say, say the least. Uh, <laughs> and as you mentioned, uh, Chuck Grassley, Dick Durbin, uh, both have been working on on this legislation. Uh, the part that I think is particularly important is um, that these mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug drug crimes have packed our federal prisons at huge cost, right. both in terms of dollars, but in terms of human lives, lives wasted, yeah. particularly of young black kids. Yep. That's exactly right. And I think that's what what Senator Grassley and Senator Durbin did. And I want to give a special um, you know, shout out to Senator Grassley because, you know, Senator Durbin has been the champion, but the power dynamic is obviously with the Republicans in this Congress. And Senator Grassley held out and made sure that sensing reforms were part of the mix. And so when the bill was coming from the House, it was voted out of the House as a prison reform only bill. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have any sensing components in that. It was Senator Grassley who was resisting his colleagues, his Republican colleagues, and saying we need sensing reform in there and supported by Senator Durbin, Booker, Harris, and others. But, um, you know, he used his position as head of the Judiciary Committee uh, this time in a very positive way to get those reforms. And so I think you're absolutely right. We need to stop it from the front end because, as you know, Bill, like once you're in the system, once oh, you're yeah. in prison, yeah, yeah. your li- chances at life and your opportunities decrease significantly. So we need to stop that from the beginning. Um, there are some Republicans still who feel uh, that by voting for this bill, uh, they're going to be accused of being soft on crime. Yeah. And I think so there's still the hardliners out there who, like a Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions would never have supported this, would he? That's right. No, he wouldn't have. And he actually, when he was uh, still attorney general, you know, pour yeah. one out for him, uh, I think he, uh, <laughs> he it came out in opposition not only to this bill, but also to the prison reform only bill. So it wasn't only the fact of sentencing. It was also <laughs> the fact that he uh, thought that if you're a drug offender, that you basically, you should throw, lock him up and throw away the key, which is not the way that, you know, it, people are going to come back. 90 to 95% of people are coming back to their communities. Let's give them a second chance and opportunities of life. Um, Mitch McConnell's opposition, who is he fronting for in this? So it, it was Tom Cotton. Um, so Mitch McConnell in both 2016 and 2018 did not want to divide his caucus. And he wanted to make sure that, you know, even the people who were opposing the bill had a chance to be heard. And he so he did that in this situation. It took him a really long time. It was literally up until the last minute to, to, to make sure that they had time in the Senate. But Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz... John Kennedy from uh, not not John yeah, John Kennedy right. from Louisiana were the ones who were really pushing, and they did get some things in the manager's amendment to 
reduce the number of people who would be incentivized to take up prison programming, which to me boggles the mind if your bill is at least in part about prison programming incentivizing that. But he didn't want to divide his caucus in, 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 right before an election in 16. He didn't want to divide his caucus now either, and so that's why he wanted to make sure he was... Uh, fresh from a big victory in the U.S. Senate yesterday uh, and fresh from a uh, very early morning... Um, lasting into the early morning holiday party last <laughs> night. Uh, it is Ed Chung here from the Center for American Progress as our guest, uh, AmericanProgress.org, uh, to follow uh, their work on criminal justice reform as well as all the other important issues that they lead on. Um, Ed, I want to ask you, so we see the presence, you mentioned when we were talking about Michael Flynn, uh, his constant trashing of the FBI, uh, the Justice Department in general, the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, um, the president saying he might intervene in the uh, case of this Chinese businesswoman arrested in China, the president this week saying he might intervene in the case of a Green Beret who's been convicted of murder by the U.S. Army. Um, There's so many examples of the president intervening in or interfering in or like over trying to overrule the the, the the justice system, the rule of law yeah. in this country. Have we ever seen, I mean, I know Richard Nixon once, as I recall, commented on some case that was still in trial, whether it was a Manson case or something. Right. And he was condemned by everybody for having anything to say about the justice system, right? Right. But well, not Trump. It sounds like with him, you get the impression his belief is, I am the law. Yeah, it is a very authoritarian, you know, he, he, he it seems like he believes that he is king, right? He wants to be king. He wants to be that authoritarian dictator. And he, I mean, I always go back to the fact, like, imagine if Barack Obama did this. You, Im- you cannot play that game. <laughs> we, no, we, we, we discovered and we agreed a long time ago that we would all be driven crazy. crazy. It's like the drinking game. Crazy. And Every, so, Hillary or Barack Obama. Anybody. And so Barack if, Obama paying $130,000 to Stormy Daniels not to talk about. But there are these the, there are these walls between the Justice Department and the administration. There has to be, and the fact you know he started this with the whole political opponents locking him up and so forth. But the fact that it continued to whatever uh, area that he believes he should, as president, be entitled to you know interfere with is really you know dis- it, it it is not hyperbole to say that you are destroying institutions and institutions that are at the foundation of American democracy and you know we say this over and over again and it's, but i think we at some point progressives need to make sure that we're not getting tired of the repetition of saying this and it's more of a reminder because you know being at the justice department those kinds of invisible walls are the only things that keep the the functions of justice and criminal justice and justice department moving. Otherwise, um, we are we will be at an existential constitutional crisis. It, it's and it's really the only the courts, right? Right. That that can stop that, I guess. I mean, like, obviously, this Congress, at least this Republican Congress. Yeah, I mean, those types they, of checks and balances. I mean, it's they, hard. They don't care. The Justice Department itself, you know, you, it, we've seen like you, you can replace an attorney general, you can replace a deputy attorney general, you can replace all of the people who lead the top agents or divisions within the Justice Department are political appointees. And, you know, in a right functioning government, that should be the way it is. But you're absolutely right. The checks and balances that the court lays, that's important. And, th- and then you also see this president 
attacking the courts. And so he's yeah, attacking right. all of the foundations of our democracy. But yeah, I was just thinking in in uh, in less than two years, you know, he's fired the acting attorney general, the attorney general, and the director of the FBI. Right. <laughs> right. And threatened to fire everybody. Everybody else. else. <laughs> everybody else. Yeah. Like who's there? Yeah. Right. And so uh, being under and directing them, I want you to investigate Hillary, right? right? Almost saying, I'm ordering you to investigate. Right. Da, 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 da. And for the leaders of the Justice Department to be under constant threat of that, it's it, it places not only this uh, pressure on them, but you are a political appointee. You serve at the pleasure of the president. And so you create this automatic like dynamic of a conflict internally because you he is your boss. But then you also have your you're sworn to uphold the Constitution and the Justice Department is this independent. So there is this dynamic that is a very confusing dynamic that is placed upon leaders of the Justice Department. Uh, and it is a it is a sad state of affairs. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really, really troubling. And uh uh, at least you and the center are there uh, trying to keep some order in this whole system. Um, and congratulations again on the big criminal justice reform bill. Thanks, Thanks for coming in, Ed. When we come back, Olivia Beavers joins us this from the is Hill. The bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Michael Flynn, he sold out his country. That's what the judge told him yesterday. Yeah, Donald Trump wishing the uh, wishing Michael Flynn good luck yesterday morning. He didn't have much good luck in that courtroom, although his sentencing was delayed for 90 days. That's the judge indicating he may send him to prison anyhow, even though Robert Mueller uh, asked for no prison time for Michael Flynn. That's just one of the big stories we're covering today. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's a Wednesday, uh, December 19. This is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital with the news of the day on both what's happening here in Washington on this end of Pennsylvania Avenue uh, in the United States Congress and down at the other end at the White House, where a rare White House briefing held yesterday afternoon, uh, lasted all of about 10 minutes. Um, and that was the one briefing for the entire month of December. Uh, we've got that covered, plus uh, other news around the country and around the globe. Bringing it to you um, from, again, our studio on Capitol Hill uh, and reaching out to you online, on radio and on television. And we want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We're going to be talking a lot about the shutdown, about cybersecurity, other issues that Congress is dealing with. With This half hour with Olivia Beavers joining us, cybersecurity reporter from that great newspaper, The Hill. 
Hello. Hi, Bill. How Olivia. you doing? Nice to see you. Nice to see it's you. It's com, which I always tell you has to be the best newspaper in Washington because it carries my column every Tuesday. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> A little bias for The Hill, thehill.com. Part of the family. Fake news. Uh, fake news. I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. But, uh, exactly. All right. So uh, we'll jump right into the news. But first... This Peter is goes the first. Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Now, this story is kind of nuts because, you know, when you're a kid, you look forward to snow days, right? That's just how it goes because yeah. you don't have to go to school. You get to stay home. You get to go sledding. Mm-hmm. Well, in South Carolina, some school districts have done away with snow days altogether. Plus, South Carolina. Well, they don't, don't get a lot snow. of snow. But yeah. but I will say last year, you know, Although they got like year a, they did. Yeah. It was no, last year. year yeah. They got, I think, like three or four inches and it closed schools for like a week week and a half, right? So they said because of that, they have a new program, a new pilot program that they're trying in five different school districts. Every student gets a Chromebook, a laptop that they can take home with them, and then they can log into their virtual classroom and do school from home. They will not miss out on any daily lessons. They will not miss out on any of their homework assignments. They will still be able to keep learning even though they are at home. Now, to your point, it is kind of fascinating that it took South Carolina to figure this out. Yeah. You know, because they don't get a lot of snow, but that that is what they're going to try. And we, if it works, we but, might see this roll out around the country. But, you know, the other end of that equation is in states where they do get a lot of snow. Yeah. They don't take many school days. That's true. No, that's true. They don't take a lot of school days. Our grandkids in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. You know, Snow? Okay, big deal. They get used to it. They have a system for it. Buffalo, New York? Do you think they get school days like Washington, (laughs) D.C.? No way. No, we get a school day if there's one flake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, How about this? Going to California, Bill. uh, Yes. Your your state out there. Well, it looks like there is a new push. Lawmakers have pushed the state to cover two years of tuition for students who commit to enrolling into college right out of high school. This is specifically for California community college students, and they are saying, look, free college might not be something that won in 2016, but they think that it's worth doing, and they're going to do it in California. Governor-elect Gavin Newsom pledged that he would make the first two years of community college free in California, and so this is going to be one of the first things that he tackles when he takes office. Uh, very, very good program. I had a long talk about this program with my one of my best friends, Tom Epstein, is the president of the community college system uh, in California. Oh, wow. Yeah, a former uh, Jerry Brown buddy, uh, another fellow Brownie. Uh, and Tom Epstein and Gavin Newsom have been working on this. It's a great, great program. This is the Bill Press Show. We agree it's a phony charity, and so we agree to shut it down. That's what members of the Trump family said yesterday. Under uh, a little bit of pressure from the New York Attorney General, I said we're no longer going to pretend that this is a charity and use it to buy things for our daddy, uh, like portraits of Donald Trump for Mar-a-Lago, uh, they they admitted the whole thing was a phony baloney charity, and uh, uh, it is going to be dissolved as of yesterday. What do you say, everybody? Here we are on Wednesday, December 19. It is the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C. 
our nation's capital, bringing you all the news of the day, uh, our own analysis and our insights into the news of the day uh, with our guest here on Capitol Hill. Uh, and we bounce out to you from uh, this studio on Capitol Hill to join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on television, on Free Speech TV, the one and only progressive cable channel in the country today, Free Speech TV, 24-7, and on the radio on the great WCPT out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Uh, and in studio with us for this uh, first half hour, Olivia Beavers covers cybersecurity issues and Capitol Hill for The Hill, thehill.com. Olivia, it's good to see you. Great to see you, On Bill. the cybersecurity front, there's so many uh, issues we're going to get into, but the lead article in the New York Facebook has had a rough run what lately. A, what a rough year. Yeah. Two years. Uh, two years, exactly. Yes. They can't seem to get out from under uh, the scandal that really started with so much of the Russian ads and everything in the 2016 campaign popping up on Facebook, as I remember then-Senator Al Franken saying, wait a minute. You were getting paid in rubles, and you didn't realize this money was coming from Russia. So the latest, uh, I'd love to get your take on what this means. Uh, the headline in the New York Times lead article, Facebook offered users privacy wall and then let tech giants around it. So what were they doing? What's this latest? So, Bill, this is a stunning report. Uh, basically, Facebook was granting access to some of these major partners that it has. So it says, we're not selling, but they were sharing. And they were sharing it to hundreds of sharing millions. Sharing what? Sharing data. And it, sometimes really personal data without the user's consent. And this was hundreds of millions of users over the courses of months. This was to companies like Amazon, companies like Microsoft, Netflix, and other tech companies, and maybe even automobile um, companies and media companies. And so this is uh, sometimes usernames and passwords, private messages, what your Facebook stream is, uh, basically what you're doing on social media, who your friends are, what you're liking. That information was able to be accessed by these major companies uh, kind of as a way for Facebook to A, get access to other users and get get advertised on their products without technically selling it. So they, they seem to be going through this whatever loophole uh, and regulators were not catching them. Well, so first of all, they were telling individuals, members of Facebook, that we're offering you, but we're not going to do this, right? Are there what this? They this, did. They did not they ask. offer a privacy wall. So basically, they were saying we're going to protect your data. We're going to yeah, safeguard right. it. You, we will not give your information away to these companies without your consent. But even if you went into your Facebook, you clicked "Do not share this information," they right. were still technically sharing it with some of these companies. So they were lying to people. That's what it seriously looks like. Yes. Yeah, they were. It lying. looks like it was misleading. So they weren't protecting our privacy at all. Well, so they were not. I would understand if they were selling the data. Why would they give it away? So technically, by sharing it, it gave them a way to have access to more users. Oh. Um, and so places yeah. like Microsoft might then um, be putting some of their products. It was like kind of a way to share um, what the access that each company had to one another. So Facebook was benefiting, but they weren't technically selling it. And this is the one of the reasons that we get bombarded with so much advertising people seem to know what way too much yeah i way mean like uh, i'm always amazed when i go online you know what there there are ads for 
stuff that I might have, uh, reminders of stuff I might have just looked at, mm-hmm. maybe going to want to buy and didn't buy or whatever, and uh, and books recommended on based on what I bought in the past. Yep. This is something you might, I mean, all of this information. Some of these companies might know more than, about ourselves than we do uh, just by following yeah, what we yeah. do online. And one important part about this report, Facebook had a major scandal with Cambridge Analytica after we realized that this company was collecting data on its users um, after uh, it started changing its privacy controls after uh, 2014. But it continued to use this data, and that was how it, the Cambridge Analytica was able to help the Trump campaign uh, figure out voters that they could target. And that led to an outrage. That was 87 million users. Mm-hmm. This one's worse. Wow. Yeah, Facebook is how big? I don't know. So it has 2.2 billion users. This was apparently the data for hundreds of millions of its users. Wow. Why? So, um, I mean, I was, what's your name? Sarah, the president of Sandberg, is that? Mm-hmm. Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, Cheryl uh, Sandberg, who testified last week in, 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 or maybe the week before. It was Google guy last Google, week, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, she's been up here a couple of a couple of times. I mean, um, you know, the bad publicity for Facebook uh, over and over. I mean, they're going they they're going to survive. It well, you know, it depends. I think Peter, you. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. You did a story yesterday about somebody who just said that they were. Abandoning Facebook. Narc- oh yeah, Walt Mossberg said he's he's completely getting off it. And, you know, yeah. it's it's interesting because, you know, look, I I think that if anybody has used Facebook in the last five years, you sort of have to understand and you have to realize that yes, they were absolutely collecting your data, right? Like that, that's just something that I think a lot of people knew. Whether or not you went ahead and did it and used Facebook anyway. There's another thing. Like some people were just okay with it or didn't realize the extent of it, but you knew that that mm-hmm. they were collecting data on you. And it's just sort of every single week it seems like there's another bombshell about just how widespread it was. Yeah. And and how deep it went, right? Like the fact that they were sharing your personal messages on Facebook with other corporations. A lot of people use Facebook instead of texting. Right, because yeah. Yeah. you know, if you don't have an iPhone or whatever, it's free to to send stuff back and forth. If you have a, a, a smartphone, you could send messages that way. Um, and to think that Facebook was sharing it with other people is probably going to alarm many Facebook users. Or uh, I guess the other answer is that we just all surrender. I mean, I mean, uh, just... haven't we already been kind of surrendering before? Yes. Now, now it's yes. Like, I think so. I you know. <clears throat> I have been covering cybersecurity for a little bit over a year, and this is a topic that I think just over that course of a year has really come into the public purview because suddenly people are worried about what's happening with their data. They're worried about whether they're being tracked by their cell phone and where and the, the cell phone companies uh, knowing yes and the selling answer. the data where they're going. Yes is the answer to that. Yes, but yeah. it's, it's like we're, we're still going to be figuring out probably in the next couple of months, maybe the next couple of years, how much data of ours has been sold and what that really means. Because we don't really know the scope of what these companies using this data might have, or if any of these companies are hacked. And imagine that data going into some malicious actor's hands. And suddenly they know where you go, what you do, what you buy, who you see. That's kind of a scary prospect to a lot of people is 
I don't want them knowing that. It is, but I don't see any serious effort to deal with it. Uh, and I'm not sure how we can. I mean, what does it mean? More regulation? I mean, government control of... I know, mean, that's certainly every, something. Uh, this is going to have... This is going to be like blood in the water for um, some congressmen who and women who have been wanting regulators to look at Facebook and say the way that they handle privacy and data really needs to be looked at. But I will say, like Capitol Hill, some things just don't get done. So the Equifax... Um, leaked data breach that led to one of mm-hmm. the most massive in the U.S. history. Uh, that led to calls for reform on Capitol Hill um, about two years ago. Have we seen anything done? No. So it's it's going to be maybe um, a few more data leaks, maybe this one, but it seems like it takes a big story of a data leak to, to push lawmakers into action. And, and one by the every time we talk about this, I'm I think back to the very first month of the Barack Obama presidency. Um, John Harwood, who was then with CNBC, mm-hmm. may still be with CNBC, uh, had a one-on-one interview with the president, and he asked him, "What keeps you awake at night?" And Obama, without hesitating, said, "Cybersecurity." And this was ten years ago, and I remember what. Nobody was talking about cybersecurity at the time. And the fact that he said that, I just found stunning. Boy, he was way ahead of his time. He was way ahead Here of Here we it. are 10 years later, and we still don't have an answer. Another aspect of this, is, which we're also not dealing with, seems to me, is election security. Election security is certainly... I mean, through people able to access our systems yes. electronically. And there is work being done, and I think that, you know, the Department of Homeland Security and also experts say we are better than we were in 2016, but it's going to be a slow process of like continuously updating our systems, making sure states have enough money to make sure that their election security um, is up to speed. Because what we don't always think is the moment you catch up, the actors trying to break into these systems continue to evolve and become more sophisticated. So it's an ever revolving race to be matching their skill with ours. What do you get? I mean, you're really getting to the sanctity of the vote, right? That people can trust that if they vote, their vote is going to be uh, cast for the person that they vote for Mm -hmm. and that nobody's going to be able to get into the system and influence or negate or whatever uh, the number of votes in that particularly um, precinct or, Mm -hmm. or county or state. That's the biggest fear is undermining the faith in our elections. And uh, DHS Secretary Nielsen was saying during the midterm elections when there was a lot of kind of scrutiny about whether we'll be prepared, she goes, just go out and vote. Like, we are doing our best, and we will, if you have any problems, we will try to address it. Um, But the bottom line is you should be voting. And I think that's underscoring their fear that these stories about whether our elections are safe really end up also kind of raising a concern that we might disenfranchise voters. Um, and I know, Congress, there's been some hearings, I guess, or at least talk about it. Is there any legislation so, moving on so, election security? Well, I th- so there might be soon. So the, um, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is supposed to be releasing a report in the coming days about their analysis of the 2018 midterm elections. So that will report, that will um, be giving a lot of information about what 
the intelligence community is saying they saw in this election and that could lead to changes right um you've also been following um as all of us have um the attempts to avoid a shutdown on capitol hill yes which took a different twist yesterday with suddenly and i was at the briefing yesterday where now sarah huckabee sanders rather than last week when donald trump was bragging about he was going to shut down the government in his meeting with nancy pelosi and chuck schumer that now the White House is saying, well, we're trying to find money. You know, we're looking in, in everybody's, mm-hmm. we ask everybody to look in their closets to see if there's any extra money lying around and we can put it all together in a kitty. Maybe we can come up with $5 billion or mm-hmm. the difference between $1.6 billion and $5 billion. Uh, so what's your read now? Um, shut down or not? So right now I think we're looking at a possible stopgap bill. Um, just to uh, what we call a CR continuing resolution, something that will get us funded into the next year um, and kind of punt the decisions of another CR, <laughs> another, another right? CR. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because this border wall fight, like you said, the president now seems like he's willing to make concessions, but he has kind of just put the onus of this deal on the Senate and says, you come up with the idea and if I like it, I'll sign it. Well, uh, talking to people on Capitol Hill, they're kind of confused about what to do. I had a Republican lawmaker come up to me and say, so, uh, have you, have you, do you know, like, what's happening with this shutdown? And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that I should be asking you that, you know? Um, and it seems like there's kind of confusion both in the White House about what the president is um, planning to do and confusion on Capitol Hill. Uh, several times at the briefing yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, uh, in effect, well, she said just various variations on this theme of we don't know what we're going to do, but we're waiting to see what Congress comes up with. Mm-hmm. So once they vote on something, then we'll decide whether or not we can support it. Yes. Which is usually not the role of the White When they're trying to avoid a government shutdown, you would think the White House might be more involved. And maybe they are. They just weren't saying they are. But that was her attitude. Well, let's wait and see what they come up with, and then we'll tell you whether we like it or not. You know, some of my sources have said that that seems to them like the president is kind of distancing himself because he said he was going to not sign a bill that doesn't have $5 billion in border wall spending. Right, and, and f- do it proudly and introduce the Trump shutdown. Yes. No, he was very, very clear. Yes. Yeah. And so by him um, basically punting it to the Senate, that's a way of kind of creating a distance from someone who said, no, I'll dig in my heels to... Uh, well, maybe it's more important to get this funding yeah, yeah. bill through. The, the, I think the sharpest contrast to, again, the Trump that we heard last week with that, all the clips we played about to, to Chuck Schumer, I'm not going to blame you. I'll take the credit. I'll take the blame for it. It's on me. The Trump shutdown, that's what it's going to be, and I'm going to do it. Boom, boom, hell or high water. Yesterday, he had one comment on, because there was this school safety, whatever, um, BS sort of meeting that they had at the White House. And at the end, um, one one reporter, here's the exchange, asking him whether he was going to, what he was going to do about the shutdown. Th- this is a totally different Donald Trump. Listen carefully. We'll see what happens. Well, you say that, but... but too, early, not- too early to say, sorry. We'll see what happens. Too early. Again, somebody said last week, right? 180 degrees. Yep. Well, it's it's also, I think, 
very true because we're all waiting to see what does happen here. Um, but like you said, that meeting at the White House was uh, Trump saying, you can put the blame on me. We're going to get this done. Uh, and we're still kind of waiting to see whether we are going to get it done. Um, can the, the this question has been mm-hmm. raised. So the to the extent that they revealed any um, anything at all about what they're doing at the White House to avoid a shutdown, um, the president has directed. In fact, here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, who told us yesterday. He's asked everybody to look for uh, little pockets of money that they may have lying around. President's asked every one of his cabinet secretaries to look for funding that can be used uh, to protect our borders. So he's asking, you know, Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, do you have any leftover money, right? Right. That we can all pool together and that way we'll come up with a $5 billion. Question, can these departments just take money that was allocated by Congress for one purpose and then use it for something else? So this dig your hand in the couch and look for spare change yeah. approach can only go so far. You know, you might come up with a dollar, but you're not going to come up with a $10. So they might, to a certain degree, be able to redirect some funding. They're not going to get the amount of money that they want to direct towards border wall, towards the border wall. And so it's kind of uh, an idea that's outside of reality. That's That still will eventually have to go through congressional approval uh, up to a certain point of redirecting these funds from different uh, agencies to this one uh, one of the president's top priorities. Right. Uh, now, that uh, I'm glad to hear you say that because it seems to me, I mean, Congress does have a responsibility, and they do, to appropriate the money. That's mm-hmm. their, constitutionally, that's their job, right? And if the Department of Agriculture got, I don't know, uh, so... U.S. Forest Service is under the Department of Agriculture. If they got money to do some great big new restoration project in America's forests, yep. they couldn't just say, oh, we're not going to spend it for that. We're going to give it to Donald Trump for the wall instead. No, that, I think that would have to go through uh, the legislative branch for approval before they can't just take a, a bunch of funding dedicated to one project that went through um, their, their review and then be turned towards what the president wants to use it for. How much um, excitement do you find among Republicans that you've talked to on the Hill for a government shutdown? They are not excited. <laughs> so, <laughs> just the opposite, right? Just the opposite. And, um, you know, there's there's two things that stand out to me about this. One, government shutdowns are not popular in this country. No one likes the idea that our lawmakers can't get a funding bill through uh for the next year, that's a huge part of their job. And if the government shuts down, that kind of leads D.C. to uh, a stall. Um, and certain things come to a halt. And one thing that I talked to um, a researcher at the National Institute of Health, and one thing that uh, was described to me was their studies where they had rats and, uh, you know, they if they weren't able to go in during a government mm-hmm. shutdown mm-hmm. to feed the rats, thousands of dollars that were dedicated to these projects are lost. So it, it not only is a waste of money when the government shuts down, but it's also just a big headache. Um, we have, um, you mentioned about rat, reminded me <laughs> of James Comey's comment this week. Well, it was the president's comment originally that started it, uh, calling Michael Cohen a rat mm-hmm. because he um, was cooperating yes. with law enforcement agencies um, uh, that uh, really set James Comey off uh, how many more times, by the way, are Republicans going to call on Comey to testify before the end of the year? Well, I think he's done. From 
but he came in twice. Twice, yeah. And he was not happy about it. Uh, he came out and talked to me and a bunch of other reporters after mm. two separate hearings. Today, though, we do have a, a former Attorney General Loretta Lynch coming to Capitol Hill, and we believe she will be the last witness to appear um, as part of this Republican-led investigation into FBI and Justice Department decision-making. And, and Comey, um, his, his comments were not only uh, directed against the president, but against uh, fellow Republicans on Capitol Hill. It was a scathing rebuke. He was basically saying, you all are cowards for not standing up to the president, for standing up to Fox News. And even if you are afraid of this political backlash, you know that these attacks against these institutions are wrong. And Comey goes, I was a Republican for most of my adult life. And to see how Republican lawmakers are acting now is just embarrassing, uh, was basically the summary of what he came out and told us. And he railed against the president for undermining the rule of law. And he railed against these Republican lawmakers who he says are protecting him. Is he thinking, do you have any sense of running for office himself? So I was actually pretty angry at myself. That was one of my questions, and I did not – I asked him a one, but I did not get to that question. Uh, you know, he has become this huge sort of political figure uh, since the president fired him. He's vocal on Twitter. He was out campaigning with uh, a House Democratic candidate who ended up winning election, um, Wexton uh, in Virginia. Hmm. And so it, he definitely seems like he is putting himself in this political world. Yeah. No, that's I, I've heard rumors that mm-hmm. he might be thinking about it. I would assume he'd run as a Democrat if he ran. He's, that's uh, that's where he seems to be aligning himself. But he lives in the district. Of, I don't I don't even know. He lives in Virginia or in the district. I mean, so or what level? What he would run for? That right? I, that I do not know. But I I do think there is um, some buzz that he might have political aspirations, uh, especially with him kind of making certain comments and uh, rebukes of the president and the Republican Party. Right. Um, Well, you know, there are 30 candidates so far among Democrats running for president. So 30. Are you sure? I think it's more like more like 200 at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my last count was 30. But my point is that. Hey, come on in. The water's fine, right? I mean, <laughs> it's nice and warm. <laughs> yeah, there's room for you too. So maybe Comey will jump in. Uh, who knows about it? But so many, uh, so many important issues there that you're keeping on top of, Olivia. Thanks so much for starting off the day with us. Thanks, Bill. Um, and remember that great newspaper, The Hill. Seriously, best source for uh, news about what's happening in Washington at either end of Pennsylvania Avenue or in, uh, in the departments or the agencies. Go to thehill.com, and you can tell Bob Cusack that we gave him a good plug this morning. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, you can follow Olivia and uh, all the all their other good friends at the Hill. In fact, Jordan Fabian's coming in tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Uh, White House correspondent Great White for the House Hill. reporter. It's thehill.com. Well, when we come back, Zoe Tillman joins us from BuzzFeed, a reporter for the courts and the justice system over there. A quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go, wrapping up on a Wednesday, December 19, the Bill Press Show. We are now um, about 48 hours from uh, the possible government shutdown with no resolution in sight. Although, um, 
Looks like uh, the White House may be caving in a little bit, uh, talking about looking at least instead of bragging about shutting down the government. Now they say they are looking for some ways to avoid a shutdown if they can find some extra money lying around anyway, any any place. Um, that is the big story of the day. And then Michael Flynn yesterday uh, getting a real severe reprimand from a federal judge in court and his sentencing uh, was actually delayed for 90 days. We'll catch up uh, with all of that um, and all of you here in this half hour. I just want to give a quick reminder. Uh, if you were, you've heard me talking about these beautiful hand-woven scarves by my wife, Carol Press, the Carol Press scarves, each one hand-woven. Today's about the last day if you want to get one for Christmas that you could uh, get your order in and get it out to you on time. So, um, if you haven't, uh, if you've been delaying it, <laughs> don't delay it any longer. Today's sort of the deadline. Go to BillPressShow.com, click on the uh, link to the Carol Press scarves, see all the colors and designs available. Take it from there, and we welcome uh, to join us here for this final half hour today, Zoe Tillman, our good friend and reporter on criminal justice issues for BuzzFeed. Zoe, nice to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Thanks for coming in. Uh, and meanwhile, we've been deluged with comments th- today, Peter. Lots and lots and lots of comments, not on only on many Twitter, issues. not only on Twitter, at BP Show. But remember, we have our chat room at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And you have an opportunity to make a super chat, which you can mm-hmm. uh, give some money, and then we read your chat on air. That's just how it works at YouTube. Michael McAllister, we were talking about the criminal justice reform stuff yesterday. Uh, Michael McAllister said, says uh, a huge step forward for criminal justice reform would be to decriminalize all drugs. It worked in Portugal. It could work here. I'm not sure that you're going to see that out of Donald Trump, but I don't disagree with Michael. Thank you for your comment and your super chat, Michael. Uh, I don't disagree with Michael either. Uh, Thank you. And uh, by the way, another shout out to uh, Andrew Cuomo of New York, who finally took a mini step toward that goal there by yesterday saying that he was going to make a legalization, not just decriminalization, legalization of recreational marijuana, um, the law of the land in New York State. This from a governor who in the past has even opposed medical uh, marijuana. And so um, I think things are, we're making progress, but very slowly on that front. Uh, so, so yesterday, um, the president started out the day by wishing good luck to Michael Flynn yes. in the courtroom yesterday. And everybody sort of scratched their head and said, what's this all about? I mean, he called Michael Cohen a rat for cooperating with the special counsel and the U.S. attorney. And Michael Flynn cooperates, from what we've heard, even more extensively with the special And yet Donald Trump said, good luck, Michael, my buddy. Yeah, I mean, the narrative on the right has been that Michael Flynn was sort of a man wronged by the Mueller investigation, that he was pressured into doing this, that he was entrapped when Mm -hmm. he did lie, which is what he admitted to doing. He lied to FBI agents just a couple days after Trump was inaugurated. Um, But there's been sort of a different narrative about Michael Flynn as cooperator versus the other Michael, Michael Cohen, (laughs) as cooperator. Well, so that was the story that they were trying to sell. Um, the judge didn't buy it. Well, and in, Michael Flynn and his lawyer also are not on board with that narrative. There was an interesting. So basically, yesterday was but, supposed but, to but be. But in his plea last week, didn't or a couple of weeks ago, didn't the lawyers sort of indicate that yes. maybe the 
FBI ambushed him? There was some insinuation that he was, you know, if not entrapped, coerced into Mm -hmm. lying. They noted in their sentencing memo that unlike other defendants who lied in the Mueller probe, George Papadopoulos, Alex Vanderswan, Michael Flynn was never given a warning at the beginning, you know, that it is a a crime, a federal crime to lie to the FBI and there are penalties for that. Um, They also noted that the then FBI deputy director, Andrew McCabe, when he had told Flynn that these FBI agents were going to come by and talk to him, he had said, you know, if you want someone from the White House counsel's office present, that's going to be a whole thing. We're going to have to bring in the Justice Department. You know, do you really want that? And Michael Flynn, in essence, said, no, nah, it's fine. You know, let him come. So the lawyers basically said, you know, he didn't get this warning and he wasn't with counsel when this interview happened. Um, Mueller's office came back and said, this is a 33-year veteran of government military service at the time taking on the mantle of the nation's top national security advisor, he should know that lying to the FBI is a crime. Um, and Didn't Michael Flynn tell the judge that he knew that lying to the FBI was did. a crime? He did. And yesterday the judge said, did you know at the mm-hmm. time you sat down with them that lying to the FBI was a crime? Michael Flynn said yes. The judge asked his lawyer, do you believe that your client was entrapped by the FBI? The lawyer said no. They asked, you know, mm-hmm. the judge asked the lawyer, did you believe any crime? You know, there's any violation of law in the course of that interview, and the lawyer said no. They said the only reason they put that out there was to try and distinguish Michael Flynn's circumstances from these other defendants who also lied and went to prison. And so uh, the judge uh, looked at Michael Flynn, uh, and he said, I'm quoting here now, quote, uh, Judge uh, Emmett Sullivan, I'm not hiding my disgust, my disdain for this criminal offense, uh, and pointing out that he, Michael Flynn, lied to the FBI in the White House, which seemed to be what really set the judge off. He, he, he Not conti- just in the White House. He said in the White House, in the West Wing, oh, the judge said. Oh, is that right? He made yeah. a, you know, you're, you're in the heart of it. Uh-huh. He said, arguably, this undermines everything this flag over here stands for. Arguably, you sold your country out. Yeah. And what's interesting is the judge got very heated during this exchange, and he was sort of lumping together the crime that Flynn pleaded guilty to, which is lying, with another crime that Flynn sort of admitted to but wasn't charged with, which was acting as an unregistered agent for the Turkish, the government. Turkish government. And that was sort of the, where yeah, you're, we, you sold your country We should make sure people out. understand. Yeah. The essence here was that he was lobbying for the Turkish government while he was national security advisor. Which wasn't true. Uh-huh. So the and, judge later walked that back yeah, okay. and said, I'm sorry, oh. you know, I, I understand but that But he had didn't been doing that, yeah. Prior but, to taking office. Yeah. So there was a little bit of confusion in court yesterday, and the judge got very worked up about a narrative that he later needed to walk back a bit. Mm-hmm. But generally, he was very harsh on Michael Flynn. He, had a, he did not mince words. He made clear how much he disapproved and that he was maybe leaning towards prison time. And that's ultimately what led Michael Flynn to take a step back and say, I'm not quite ready for this because Mm -hmm. the judge said, you know, if you're not done cooperating, I can't take into account the full extent of the value and benefit you've given to the government. And if I can't do that, how, you know, you may come out worse for the wear when I balance these terrible crimes you committed against the good you've done as a cooperator. So uh, by given this delay, are we to believe then that Michael Flynn has more to tell, that he will continue to cooperate with the special counsel? So what we know is that he's a cooperator in a case that was unsealed this week in Virginia. It's a unregistered foreign agent case against two individuals who were also working for Turkey. 
And we learned yesterday, we confirmed what yeah. had been reported, that Flynn was, you know, the the source and big source of information on this. And his lawyer basically said yesterday, that case is just getting started. And we expect that Michael Flynn is going to be needed in that case. And it's more powerful when, as a criminal defendant, you can come to a judge and say, not only did my cooperation lead to an indictment, but my cooperation led to a conviction. Mm -hmm. And so the idea, at least, is there's this one Mm -hmm. area that we know of where they're hoping that perhaps they can come back to the judge and say, you know, he got the goods and they got someone else convicted. Now, all of that having been said in the courtroom, uh, the White House is still holding to their uh, theory or argument, right, that he was coerced, entrapped, ambushed, whatever you want. Stephen Portnoy, reporter for CBS News Radio, uh, CBS Radio, was um, in the courtroom and then left the courtroom, came to the White House to the briefing to give and was able to ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders if she was ready to back down her earlier statement. Uh, here's that exchange. Flynn said that he knew that it was illegal to lie to the FBI and he was ready to accept responsibility. This was all before agreeing to a delay in sentencing. Given that, are you in a position now or would you like to revisit your comments earlier today that uh, the FBI ambushed Flynn? No. Um, I, we still firmly believe, look, the things that may have taken place, again, that's for the judge to make that determination uh, whether he engaged in something inappropriate. What we do know that was inappropriate by own self-admittance of James Comey is that the FBI broke standard protocol in the way that they came in and ambushed General Flynn and in the way that they questioned him and in the way that they encouraged him not to have White House counsel's office present. So he was ambushed again, ambushed again. By the way, that last point you just pointed out is James Comey denies that they, he was not offered the chance to have counsel present. You you, you explained that exchange, uh, but this um, th- this concept of uh, his being either coerced or entrapped or ambushed, they're they're holding to right. Is how they're trying to paint him as different than Michael Cohen. Right. I mean, it's. I think if you look at so this week we got a look at the interview notes that the FBI agents involved in the interview prepared right after the interview, and it was a whole sort of blow by blow. And I think what was striking was that they gave him sort of multiple opportunities to say what happened in these very specific instances where he communicated with the Russian ambassador, mm-hmm. Sergei Kislyak, during the transition. And at one point, they even sort of helped him remember something that he initially sort of denied happened. And they said, are you sure? And he goes, oh, yes, 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 I remember this now. Um, so it wasn't as though it, it didn't, we didn't get the sense from these notes, at least, that they were deliberately trying to mislead him and questioning. It actually seemed like they were sort of bending over backwards to give him an opportunity to tell the full story of these communications. And and as if you look at a side-by-side of what you know Flynn admitted to saying to the Russian ambassador, versus what he told the FBI agents, there's just, it's, there's daylight. What does this say, uh, this Flynn back and forth yesterday, um, what does this say about where we are with the Mueller investigation? Do we know? We're still going. Yeah. We don't know. I think, and what's striking yesterday is the judge at the beginning said, there's a lot in this case that's still not public. And there are things that are still under seal that we don't know about. You know, we know about this Eastern District of Virginia case. But other Mm -hmm. than that, we really don't know any details about what Flynn has been saying over the course of, I think it's 19 meetings with prosecutors, 63 hours 
of meetings with prosecutors, um, and not just in Mueller's office. It might be it was other Justice Department components, which could cover this Virginia case. Um, but we just don't know what he's been saying. But they've made a show of you know saying this was a high-ranking person who agreed early on to full cooperation. There were no caveats to the extent of what he was willing to talk to them. So about. we don't know whether um, Mueller is just uh, got a full head of steam or whether he's winding down. We keep, you know, Rudy Giuliani keeps saying it's, it's tomorrow he's going to wrap up and deliver his final report. But uh, we, we, is, is there any indication that he's in the end stages or just getting started? We don't know. I mean, it is telling that most of the pending open big cases do seem to be winding down. We're heading towards sentencing on Paul Manafort. Rick Gates is still out there cooperating, and we don't have a sentencing date for him at this point, so we don't know what he's up to. That's still open-ended. Yeah. But, you know, Michael Cohen has been sentenced. George Papadopoulos has been sentenced. Some of these you know, early figures in the investigation right. who were charged. But nothing yet on Jerome Corsi or Roger right. Stone or right. Donald Trump Jr. And we know Trump they've been Jr. circling around and... Roger Stone. There have yeah. been witnesses yeah. tied to him who have come through that we know about. He keeps saying, I think I'm going to get indicted any day now, and nothing has happened. So I think, you know, I remember a year ago us having a conversation that Ty Cobb, then the White House counsel, was saying, this is all going to be over before New Year's. It feels like deja vu. People are again saying this is all going to be over for New Year's. We have no idea. Right. Okay. So that is that is ongoing. Um, Wired Magazine, Wired.com, uh, a couple of days ago reported that if you look at um, – the Trump inaugural committee, the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, the Trump White House, the Trump business empire, the Trump charity, which was dissolved yesterday. But if you look at all of those, that it adds up to what we know about 17 different investigations underway. Now, again, until yesterday, that included, although it's not entirely over, the investigation into the Trump charity. Um, I guess the first question is, how do you keep up with all of those? <laughs> I mean, love of friends and family, <laughs> support, <laughs> great husband, very also, patient. Also, Jen helps. Yeah, I hope. Um, I no. mean, seriously, one, if, if you look at Donald Trump in the middle of it, yeah. he's surrounded. And it's, it's, you have to ask the question whether he's going to be able to escape every single one of them. You know, it's. There has been a lot sort of we talk about in his orbit, but up, up, up till now, it's, you know, we haven't gotten a whole lot of information about what he was doing in the course of all of these things that have gotten the people and entities around him involved in investigations. You know, w you know, Michael Cohen has said he was directly involved. That's yeah, one direct right, link that we've seen. Right. But, you know, in terms of things going on in the transition we haven't really heard a lot about how personally involved he was in the goings-on during the pre-inauguration planning. Um, you know, with the charity, I don't know if we're totally clear on how involved day -day, Trump organization, well, how day-to-day, -day, you know, whether he was really a figurehead or if he actually had his hands, you know, in the mix and he was directly involved in some of these activities. Uh, if you listen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, he had nothing to do with any of all of these organizations or institutions, including his own business. She actually said yesterday that whatever Michael Flynn did had nothing at all to do with the president. And, you know, several of us shouted out, what do you mean he works for him? Worked for him, right? He's his national security advisor that he appointed. 
He was the chief national security advisor in the campaign. What do you mean it has nothing to do with Donald Trump? But that, that's been a defense so far. I'm sure with this in the charity, too. I said, you know, yeah, it had his name on it, but he had nothing to do with that charity. Where, uh, you know, what we know about Donald Trump's style is that he's actually involved in everything. But you're right. So far, nothing has touched him. The closest is Michael Cohen saying he directed me to make these payments and the U.S. attorney, in effect, saying that Donald Trump individual won. Right. right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, would you what was responsible for and, and knew all about that. And remember, we had the tape right. last summer, whenever it was, right, of Michael Cohen and Donald Trump talking about the payment to Stormy Daniels. And Donald Trump, from that tape, was fully aware of what they were talking about, right? including setting up this dummy corporation in Delaware. Yeah, it seemed to be the closest anyone's gotten to directly linking him with criminal activity. And I think the key thing is, you know, you could... You could say that maybe Trump knew about certain things going on or had a sense, but the real question is going to be, is there evidence linking him specifically to criminal activity? That's the the key nexus here is you can say it was unethical or immoral or whatever, but the real question is, is there something linking him with probable cause to criminal activity, to knowledge of criminal activity? Were he not president of the United States, would Donald Trump have been indicted right alongside of Michael Cohen? For those illegal payments, it it seems possible. Um, I guess the big, I mean, the other question is: I mean, if you as would Andrew Michael Cohen have been indicted, but for Donald Trump being president? It's the flip side of that question. It is, it is. But you know, um, Judge Napolitano on the, on Fox News even said that if you direct somebody to commit a crime and that person commits that crime under your direction, you're as guilty as the person who did it. Yeah, I think that all of this is very complicated by the executive privilege and sort of protection of the president legal issues that are at stake here. And, you know, if he were not president, I think this would all be a lot simpler. Um, but, we, you know, there's there's just this unknown out there of, of what, what can actually get to him, what can touch him legally. The opponents of the Affordable Care Act finally won a court case. Um, boy, time moves so fast. It was last week, wasn't Friday it? Friday night. Friday night. 8 p.m. Okay. Oh, my, no, really. Oh, <laughs> uh, unforgivable, right? There goes your weekend. Yep. Um, this was a judge in Texas um, who who went beyond where people maybe expected him to go or even maybe wanted him to go, saying not only is the individual mandate unconstitutional, but the entire Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional. Where does that stand right now, and what do you think is going to happen? So right now, it means nothing in practice. Nothing has changed since Friday. The Affordable Care Act is still in place for all we understand. It's still you know, certainly a cloud of uncertainty act. over it. Definitely no. a cloud of uncertainty. But legally, what the judge, Judge Reed O'Connor out of Texas, what he did not do was enter an injunction. He said this whole law is invalid, but he stopped short of saying, I'm going to order the government to stop enforcing it, or I'm going to order someone to do something with respect to the ACA. He did not go that far. Mm-hmm. So practically, you know, nothing happened and nothing would happen until sort of next year when the thrust of what he found unconstitutional with the interplay of sort of getting rid of the tax component of the Affordable Care Act, when that kicks in, it doesn't really yeah. become unconstitutional until next year. So what happens now is there's a coalition of Democratic state attorneys general 
who got involved in the case to defend the law when the Trump administration would not. And what they're doing is they're trying to get this ruling up on appeal as quickly as possible. And they filed papers, I believe it was yesterday or two days mm-hmm, ago, mm-hmm. trying to get that process started. Um, to the Fifth Court of to Appeals. To the Fifth Circuit. Fifth right, Circuit, Which right. covers Texas, sort of the south southwestern United mm-hmm. States. Um, and, you know, this, I we imagine, is sort of on track to go to the Supreme Court, whatever the Fifth Circuit does. The stakes are so high here that everyone just wants to get this resolved as quickly as possible. Um, it was such a, you know, maybe surprising is not the right word, but a stunning ruling from the judge just tossing the entire, he said it was, you know, 900-page law completely out the window. Um, so everyone acknowledges that this was a huge deal and a very substantial, you know, thing that he did. And now they just want to get it up as quickly as possible. Uh, doesn't this judge realize that the Supreme Court has already decided this? I, You know, I think that the the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, and the, the Republican state AGs who have been pushing this, they're arguing that what Congress did in getting rid of the tax piece of the ACA, and this is where I should confess that my knowledge of the healthcare policy side of this is not as strong, um, but you would remember that when the Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act, it was because it, there was a tax component to it. And that was what made it, that was what brought Chief Justice John Roberts over to mm-hmm. the side of upholding it as a lawful tax, you know, exercise of taxing authority. So when Congress sort of got rid of that piece of it, what Republicans and conservatives are arguing now is that this is a different law, in effect, that needs new, a fresh pair of eyes to go over it again and say, is it still constitutional? Right. Um, but even with that, that argument could prevail. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me that even with two new voices on the Supreme Court, um, with Gorsuch and, and Kavanaugh, um, you still have on the Supreme Court the five justices who voted to uphold the Affordable Care Act two years ago. That's right. The four progressives and John John Roberts, it's Chief Justice. So, yeah, the math has not changed mm-hmm. in that way. Right. But I think the the ground has shifted slightly because it was that tax part that brought over Roberts, and the question will be, is there enough there to keep him in that on that side? of the bench or not, or can he be persuaded by his new colleagues? uh, Speaking of the court, we learned something yesterday, um, and through your good reporting, um, that I was unaware of, and that is a justice now, Brett Kavanaugh, we have to call him, um, had, we remember the Dr. Blasey? Blasey Ford. Blasey Ford, right, sorry. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford, who who came to testify and then we sort of forgot about Kavanaugh, right? He's once he's was sworn in, confirmed, sworn in, don't hear about him anymore. Uh, and yet, maybe we should have. How many complaints, ethical complaints, filed against him? So in the end, there were eighty-three ethics complaints God. that were filed yeah. against him. Um, many having to do with his testimony in September before the Senate, where he very angrily, mm-hmm. you know, criticized Democrats. Other people had been critical of him. The Clintons. Uh, liberal organizations, and that really spurred a flood of complaints against him saying this demonstrated partisan bias, this wasn't a show of judicial temperament, and there those are things that can get judges in trouble. Who but, filed these complaints? 
It was a real mix. We don't know the identity of most of them. The complaints were posted online, but with information redacted about who filed them. Hmm. But we know some of them are uh, liberal advocacy groups. Some people noted, you know, they checked a box saying they were lawyers or other private citizens, people who had just observed the hearings and decided they wanted to say something that they weren't. So 83 complaints were filed with the court? Right. So some were filed in Kavanaugh's original court, the D.C. Circuit. The cases then got moved to a different circuit because just for appearance of, you know, Mm -hmm. objectivity out of his court where he had sat to a different circuit. And then after that happened in October, more dozens more complaints were filed. So what happens? He's on the Supreme Court. Does the Supreme Court have an ethics review committee or something? They have none. There is a <clears throat> there is a an ethics disciplinary system for all lower court judges that's mandated in yeah. federal law, right? Um, that explicitly names the judges who are covered: it's circuit, district, mm-hmm. bankruptcy, magistrate, not Supreme Court. So there is so, no system. And once he went up, the judges on this panel basically said, "That's it. There's nothing more we can do." So once he's confirmed on the Supreme Court, then all these ethical complaints against him basically just disappeared completely. Must be nice to be Supreme Court Justice. <laughs> a little cocoon there, like the President of the United States. Hey, Zoe, it's great to have you in today. Always Thanks so much for helping here. us out, understand all of these issues. Have a great holiday. You too. Uh, and uh, hey, that does it for this Wednesday, folks. It's all yours. We'll be looking for you this tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.